Welcome, bienvenidos, to the Talking 21 podcast. When Martin Luther King started doing what he did, he changed the whole system. The official podcast dedicated to the extraordinary life. When I was a little kid, uh, I want to, to be a, a baseball player. I, this is something that I, I, I think about. The more I think about it, I convinced that God wants me to play baseball. Of the legendary 21, Roberto Clemente Walker. Roberto! Welcome! Bienvenidos! I'm Danny Torres, and thanks for joining me on the Talking 21 podcast, the official podcast dedicated to the extraordinary life and legacy of the legendary 21, Roberto Clemente Walker. Well, it's official. The day has arrived, and it's opening night for this inaugural podcast show. Episode one is finally here, and I'm super excited. And before I introduce our very first guest, I'm a big believer in giving the ultimate shout-outs. 100% credit and kudos to those on the other side who make Talking 21 happen on a weekly basis. My man, my brother Raz Guevara, and his partner Jerry. Guys, thank you so very much. We have a special guest lined up for our Talking 21 listeners, and I'm thrilled to be your host for the next hour as I plan to discuss, delve into, and deliver to our Talking 21 listeners fascinating stories, tidbits, and even interesting guests, some who have never spoken on a podcast before, who are connected to the late Pittsburgh Pirates outfielder that you'll only hear exclusively on this podcast, Talking 21. And our first guest is Mr. Phil S. Dorsey, a Pittsburgh native who currently resides in Townsend, Maryland. He's the president, creator of The Box, a 24-hour streaming, soulful, eclectic jazz radio station and Phil has a very interesting story, and that story heads to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where he had the unique opportunity for over an 18-year period to get to know the great Roberto Clemente, his dad's best friend. Saludos, Phil. Welcome, Phil Dorsey, and welcome to the Talking 21 podcast. It's first of all, it's great to uh, once again have an opportunity to speak with you. You know, the topic is someone that was near and dear to your family, specifically your father, but you had an opportunity to um, get to know him, get to know him very well. Uh, please share with our listeners your connection with the great one. And how old were you when Roberto entered your life? Uh, thanks, Danny, for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, a lot of a lot of things can be uh, um, committed to Roberto's life and his career and his humanity. So my family, my dad met Roberto in 1955, shortly after he came up from the minor leagues. And he was introduced by, um, he was in the Army Reserves, and he was a sergeant of a pitcher at the time who played for the Pirates named Bob Friend. And Bob Friend knew my dad liked baseball, and he invited him to, I think, an early season game of 55 to introduce him to Roberto because there wasn't any other 
minorities on the team. And he knew that Roberto needed a, a connection to get acclimated to the States and the Pittsburgh and, uh, you know, I, I, the minority community for, for lack of a better word, because there weren't, there weren't any um, Hispanic people that he knew of at the time or my, you know, my dad knew of at the time to introduce him to. So that was 1955. I was two years old. Phil, for those of us who weren't fortunate to see Roberto Clemente play in person, boy, I wish I did. I know you were in right field often, had an opportunity to see him up close. Give me a sense of Roberto, the ball player. I don't think you could really make any comparison. Yes, possibly a, a player like Vladimir Guerrero, Dave Parker, Daryl Strawberry. Well, Roberto was Roberto. So give me the the full breakdown of Roberto, the baseball player that you saw up close in Pittsburgh at Three River Stadium at Forbes Field. Well, you know, a, a little bit of history of the time. There's so few video clips of Roberto doing the things that he did so well, hitting and running and catching and throwing, because um, the history of videotape at the time was is it was so expensive that the TV stations would film a game highlights or record a game and then show the highlights the next day. And then if there was another game the next day, they would record right over that game. So that a lot of the stuff that Roberto did wasn't caught on film. You know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't uh, memorized, um, re remained forever. So you, you're kind of seeing, you know, a few clips that, you know, that somehow made it out and, and was saved. So, but, that being said, I was at the ballpark almost most summers after school ended after I started school. And I would, I would go there with my dad and Roberto to go to the games because that was something to do because there was nothing else for me to do as a kid. At, when I, was, I probably started going there when I was six years old. And I would sit in one area in the Forbes Field at the time along the right baseline between first base and the right field line, and there was a, a player's entrance right between that. So I could sit there and see the ball players come in. So um, that's where I would sit. You know, I wouldn't really have an assigned seat, and it depended upon who was there, and I knew the ushers. And my dad would, you know, have me sit there, and ushers would get me a seat whenever, whenever wherever there was one at. And if I had to move, I had to move. It, it didn't matter to me, you know, so... Anyhow, that's that's what I did, and I saw Roberto um, so many do so many amazing things that you know weren't caught on film, to my knowledge. You know, besides um, you know throwing somebody out at first or third or 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 home plate or something like that, he would he would pick off people trying trotting to first base. You know, just on a you know thinking they had an easy single, he would try to throw them out at first base if they were just meandering the first base. So he wasn't, he wasn't against catching uh, unaware players off guard, you know, as far as um, trying to surprise them into thinking that um, they had an easy hit or an easy out or, you know, uh, or an extra base hit or something like that, because he would, you know, he would do whatever he could to try to put that person out or score a run or, stretch a stretch a single into a double or catch somebody sleeping 
and you know you know turning the game around and he he did that so many times um, that I saw through my summers of maybe 25 to 30 games a summer at the ballpark you know when the Pirates were in town you know just being there you know just hanging out eating popcorn and filling up on sugar you know <laughs> watching 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 the game you know so Phil outside the ballpark I mean, let's be honest. Certainly, Roberto stopped by your home on Broad Street and was a regular visitor. Share your recollections on how you saw Roberto and, hey, let's be honest, sitting in the back seat of Clemente's Cadillac, what that must have been like. Please share those thoughts. Before we lived on Broad Street, we lived on Shakespeare Street. And that was just a house we rented. And he would come there, especially when he was kind of under the radar. You know, so he would be there in our neighborhood and, you know, my my neighborhood friends would know his car when it came there. So they would try to show up to get autographs and stuff, but only a few, only a few kids, you know, that 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 I knew personally that would come there. And he would, you know, he would spend he would sign autographs or give them whatever he had to give them, you know, whatever, you know, but mostly autographs or balls or something like that. So, um but, you know, he, he was there and he was, you know, he was just, he was my dad's best friend. They were best friends. So that would be the place they would hang out when he wasn't playing ball or he wasn't um, uh, staying in his room that he rented at Stanley Garland's house. That was uh, a, a friend of my, uh, a coworker of my dad who had a new house that um, he had some extra space and he rented a room to Roberto and Roberto stayed there, I think from maybe 55 through maybe 60, but I may be wrong along that, you wow, know, wow, he's still wow. very young, you know, so it would be a way for him to get out of, get away from there and, you know, hang out with us and, and, you know, my parents would, you know, entertain and some, you know, as other Latin players or other black players came, they would, they would find their way to the house and, and hang out there too for, you know, for cocktails or whatever, you know, so. Any any particular uh, other players, other pirate players that you could recall that would stop by your dad's home with Roberto? Um, Willie, Willie Stargell, Sanguian, uh, Rennie Stennett, um, let's see. Um, uh, Doc Ellis? Doc, I think Doc came by. Also, Vic Davalio. Yes, Vic Davalio, Venezuelan player. Yeah, and um, my dad told me one time he put gasoline in his shoes. Somebody told him to put gasoline in his shoes, and he would run faster. So (laughs) he was out. (laughs) He was on base. He stole second base, but he was, like, dancing around because his feet were on fire. And uh, <laughs> he couldn't stay on the base. And I think he got tagged out because he couldn't stay on the, he put on the base. So That's, that's um, a pretty funny story. So, you know, this stuff comes back. And it's been a long time. You know, something that you shared with me years ago, Phil, I want to say possibly like 15 years ago, because we've been friends a long time when you lived in Jersey and now the many years there in, um, in Maryland. But you shared, a, it's a pretty heartfelt story because I remember when you shared it with me, just looking at the expression on your face that you can recall when Roberto basically handed your father some money. And if you could share for our listeners exactly what was the reasoning behind the money that uh, Clemente gave to your dad. 
Um, my dad was trying to buy our his first house, his only house actually. You know, so he uh, he needed. I think the house costs uh, the one on Broad Street. I think the house was on sale for now. This is 1967, 66, 67. He bought the house for like twenty one thousand dollars. Wow, but, 21, <laughs> 21. Yeah, yeah I, I just think about that. I didn't even think that, you know, that may have been yeah. the thing. It was $21,000. See, you you said it, I didn't. You said yes. it, I didn't. Yeah. Well, at the time, the federal government would draw red lines around neighborhoods that they wouldn't, they wouldn't give um, reasonable loans or no, any loans to in certain, and, and, and may, maybe major metropolitan areas. So it may have been redline, I don't know, but the down payment on the house for my dad was had to be $5,000. So Roberto gave him that money. I don't know if he gave him the whole amount or whatever, but he gave him 5,000 for the down payment and he may have needed some other money for, you know, other closing costs and things like that. So here it is, Roberto helps your dad out with purchasing that home on Broad Street. But once again, traveling in the backseat of that Cadillac I would love to know, or would have loved to have been there to have seen the expression of the neighborhood kids seeing you get out of this Cadillac and the great Roberto Clemente in a passenger seat coming out. I mean, I, again, Phil, you must have been a pretty popular kid in the neighborhood just simply, you know, by that. And I know one of the things you also mentioned is about using a Clemente bat to play a little, uh, a little baseball in front of your home. So if you could kind of share a little bit about what your standing was in a neighborhood with the uh, other children and the other uh, uh, friends of yours that lived in the neighborhood. Yeah, I had a lot of bats that he gave me to use that I played ball with that I destroyed, you know, just banging them and smashing them and using them for street ball because I, you know, nobody knew what the future would hold as far as the value of them. No, no, no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Phil. You're telling me, you're telling me Phil Dorsey had not one, not two, but possibly five, six Roberto Clemente bats that you basically just, all right, so let's do, let's do the math, Phil. One Clemente bat, do you realize in an auction how much a Clemente bat goes for these days? Just to give you an idea, possibly five figures. So, Phil, could you just imagine if those bats were still in that home of yours right now, right behind us that you're showing us a bat? And I guess back then, like everybody in the 50s and 60s, you weren't thinking that, I'm going to hold on to this bat because one day it's going to be worth something. Yeah, no. I, I held on to my baseball cards and my uh, my comic books and stuff like that, but not no, not baseball stuff because it was it was it was disposable at the time. So, but um, the other question you had about the um, the the notoriety and and popularity, I and you and you know me to this to this day, I I, I never really played it up. You know, I never really played it up. I mean, I had people that that would ask after the somebody else may have told them, and I would say, yeah, you know, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't dwell on it. I wouldn't, um, you know, try to use it like, well, you know, he's over my house all the time, and blah blah. blah. I could go to any game I want. No, I was, that wasn't my style, and it's, <laughs> it wasn't then, and it's not now. You know, so I was, I was just more. I, I would say I was more interested in people who were wanted to be friends because they wanted to be my friend for personality reasons. Sure, you know? sure. And, and that that was and I kind of learned that from my dad 
And because my dad did that with people that wanted to meet Roberto, that he would kind of be the gatekeeper and the the bullshit identifier with, with Roberto to tell him, you know, this person is, I don't trust him or he's, He's making up stuff or he's, you know, he wants your attention, your money, your fame, and you're not going to, it's not going to benefit anybody but himself, you know, so, or that or herself, you know, whatever. So I, and, and I, and I ran into that and I just, you know, backed away because I didn't want to get involved in somebody's scheme to meet, you know, a baseball player, you know, a famous baseball player. I just was like, you know, if you want to be my friend or we have something in common, that's fine. But, you know, don't use me to try to get to them. Roberta and my dad were friends because, like I mentioned, that they were, you know, very, had the same thought process and they were very strong-willed. But, you know, they were also friends because they had a lot in common as far as their likes and their dislikes and their bullshit and you know their bullshit antennas that would come up when they would see somebody trying to sell them a bill of goods or you know Roberto bill of goods or and whatever and um and my dad was a, my dad was older than Roberto so I, I he kind of maybe considered him his you know kind of his older brother um looking out for me as I'm you know new in town type thing and that that was the way it was you know at, you know he drove Roberto around in his car but you know a lot of times Roberto would be driving my dad around because whatever's going on you know depending on where they were going sometimes you know my dad would drive so Roberto could jump and run into the stadium without having to go and park the car and have to walk through the crowd and you know when people started to be you know one of the you know got more adamant about autographs and clinging and and all that stuff so you know, a lot of times my dad would drive Roberto for that reason. But, you know, they became friends. They trusted each other. You know, my dad, you know, was, had, you know, held all, you know, had my, had Roberto's silver, you know, silver bats and awards and cash and cars and, you know, all this stuff that Roberto trusted him with. And, you know, my dad just, you know, you know, did it. He was, he was his friend and he was his confidant and, you know, he would do whatever it took for Roberto to be successful, um, you know, on the field and, and, you know, happy in life. And, and, and Roberto took care of him and, and, and by extension, you know, our family and stuff like that. So, you know, I was, like I said, I was the oldest son and I was the, uh, you know, and I was the, I was the person to go to. And and if you ever see pictures of my dad, I'm I'm much fairer skinned than my my mother was very fair skinned and my dad was very dark skinned. So there were there were incidents where, you know, two dark skinned men with a light skinned little boy with blonde hair <laughs> going going somewhere in a Cadillac, you know, so or well or Lincoln. I and and I could say and just Danny mentioned I was a car guy. I remember every car that Roberto had when he was in Pittsburgh and the color, you know, and the model. I, I remember them all. You know, I, I can't even remember all the cars I had, but I remember all Roberto's cars because they were, you know, they were dynamic back then for, you know, riding around in, a, you know, a Ford or, you know, a Chevy or something like that. So, you know, um, 
something that just came to my mind immediately, Phil, and I'm actually laughing to myself because here it is. You said Roberto grabbed your hand when you were crossing the street, but yet Phil Dorsey. And that's why I started smirking right now. And I think you're smirking also. You actually had the opportunity to give Roberto (laughs) a massage, something that Roberto was known for that he knew every part of his body from actually suffering from a car accident many years ago when he was alive, of course. And there were all these kinks of him getting himself prepared, whether it was the pirate trainer having to give him a massage, uh, a workout to his body. But Roberto was able to kind of figure out and put his body in tune to play each and every day. My dad had my dad had a bad back also. So he would, you know, if as a captive teenager or child, I was, you know, I, you know, I was stuck in a house and, you know, Roberto and my dad would be there. My dad, and then I would give my dad massages laying on the floor and walk on his back and, you know, put my elbow in his spine and his shoulders and stuff. And he taught me how to do it. Cause I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, you know? So, and I was, I was giving them to my dad and Roberto came over several times and, you know, was complaining about this. Well, get Phil to do it. Get, get Phil to give you a massage. <laughs> Lay down on the floor there, Roberto, Robbie, right, you know, and I'd be like, oh, do I have to, you know, I, I'm, I have things, I got things I got to do. Like what, you know, I got to finish my comic book or something like that, you know? So anyhow, <laughs> I, you know, I did, I did give him a lot of massages on his neck. He had this, he had this habit and you may ever see a video of it, but he could like, like snap his neck on his own. He would just like twist his head really quick and snap his neck and you hear all these bones crack and I would go like, Oh, you know, so, but he, he could, he could do that. And he would do that when a lot of times when he walked up to the plate, he would like kind of snap his neck and, um, you know, before he, you know, before he started batting, you know, so he was, he, he knew how to tune his body as you, as you mentioned, he knew how to tune it as much as he could, you know, so. You know, Phil, prior to Clemente's passing on October 8, 1972, Roberto sat down with the Pittsburgh sports reporter, Sam Nover. It would be Clemente's only sit-down interview. I actually interviewed Sam in 2009, and he credits your father for bringing Clemente to the studio. Just imagine, Phil, if your dad wasn't able to drive Clemente to the studio, we truly would have never had this historic sit-down for us now today to truly experience what were Clemente's innermost thoughts. Uh, my dad was a master sergeant in the Army, so that came with him being, that, you know, taught him being very strong-willed and being able to um, stand up to people no matter who they were or what their size was. And, uh, and Roberta was very strong-willed. So, um, you know, it, it would be a... You know, it would be they they had that in common, and I, I and I don't know what happened as far as you know they probably had these you know they had their varying opinions about stuff, and you know they would take each other's advice you know um, about things, and, I, and my dad was Roberto's entree into Pittsburgh and the black you know the black neighborhood that was there to support him because there was nobody else there to support him. You know, um, there was still segregation going on in the city and in the country. So, you know, he had to go to places that accepted him. And he was, Pittsburgh's a very friendly city. You know, people are very friendly. Um, 
and you know if he tries and and you know he was a tra- you know he was a handsome guy and friendly and and he would he would talk to everybody so you know my dad would you know take him to get haircuts and me and the three of us would go get haircuts or you know take me to the movies at times you know when they went to see he said he liked uh, swashbuckler films like Earl Flynn and those type of you know adventure films so you know I would go see that too and you know get 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 amped up on sugar and stuff and, and and you know but just being hanging out with my dad and his friend you know and 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 I mentioned this to you you know Roberto was like my second dad you know so he was he was there to reprimand me or you know keep me in place or hold my hand when I crossed the street or um you know make sure I was taken care of if I needed anything or you know I wanted something um you know if my dad wasn't around, he was he was there to make sure I was safe and nobody messed with me or, you know, or he talked to me about, you know, being a better kid, you know, and that and that reflected on, you know, who I am and who I became. Being the better person, being a, a bit better man, being, um, you know, having a sense of humanity in me that I, you know, I developed over time after seeing how it played out in somebody else's life that I really admire. You know, Phil, uh, you mentioned that Roberto was your second dad. And I want to, if you could kind of provide a little bit more uh, detail on that dynamic. Here it is, Phil. It wasn't like you didn't have a father in your life. You had a father. Uh, You did mention he was a master sergeant. So I could kind of get a sense of maybe he was maybe stricter, then Roberto, the personality that you did tell me there was somewhat similar, but here it is, you looked at Roberto as a second father. So if you could at least provide a little bit more of that dynamic, uh, did you find maybe there was a softer side to Roberto? Because we all know Roberto had those huge hands. Uh, did you find it where maybe Roberto, if maybe your dad scolded you or gave you a, a particular look, and then maybe Roberto would look at your father like, hey, come on, Phil. Easy, yeah, was, easy on him. I, I think it was, you know, as you're mentioning it now, I think it was the good cop, bad cop thing. My dad was the bad cop and Roberto was the good cop. You know, like, you know, my dad would threaten me for, you know, to do something or not do something or, you know, whatever the scenario was. And Roberto would like, you know, you know, tell me to listen to listen to my dad, listen to my mother and, you know, you won't get in trouble and blah, blah, blah. But he was the he was the milder side because you know my dad was like he wouldn't my dad would never hit me he would but he knew how to intimidate like hell you know with the master sergeant type thing you know he could he could yell he could scream he could he could intimidate you know he and he was shorter to me as I got older you know so he um, he but he he knew how to use his voice and his demeanor to threaten me and to to this you know I was always scared of him. You know, so, and, and Roberto would like, you know, you don't want your dad to get, you know, you don't want your dad to get mad at you anymore. You got to eat your vegetables or, you know, whatever, whatever it was so that my dad wouldn't blow, you know, blow up at me and stuff like that. My, my dad was, and he could yell. That's because that's what master sergeants do. The, the little short story. One time my dad was yelling at me and my mother said, you know, Phil, don't yell at little Phil like that. And my dad was like, I'm not yelling. This is yelling. I'm yelling right now. This is how I yell, you know. <laughs> and then uh, like, okay, 
we're good, you know. So he put, you know, he he would he knew how to raise octaves, and he would do that in front of Roberto to get somebody out of the way, or you know, uh, you know, reprimand me or my sister, and uh, you know, and Roberto would, if he saw fit, would step in and you know try to you know convince me to follow the rules so that it wouldn't con- continue where I wouldn't get any any more trouble. Uh, when when Roberto lived in Penley Apartments, he lived um, most of his uh, career. He lived uh, in an apartment building uh, a block from my from where my parents lived. After my parents bought the house on Broad Street, so he lived a block away, um, and that was convenient for for both of you know for them because my dad helped him and he helped my dad and helped us and he was nearby if if needed for something that wasn't him driving across town because my dad still had a day job that he had to go to. So he did that. But so one time in the summer, um, me and my, some of my, my friends were out in the street playing ball and the streets were very narrow with cars parked on both sides. And there was one lane up the middle and we're playing street ball with me and maybe four other kids in front of the house. And across the street was uh, another house with three uh, teenage girls living there. And I, the oldest one was probably about 18 or 19. And um, so anyhow, um, some local boys had a crush on the, the, the oldest girl. And he would drive up and park right in the middle of the street, right in the middle of our game, and start beeping a horn calling for Margie. And her name was Margie. I remember that. So and he was beeping a horn. And we're, you know, we're there playing a game. And he parks his car right in the middle of it and starts beeping a horn for Margie to come out. And uh, she didn't come out. And um, and I'm like, can, hey, dude, can you move your car? You know, we're, we're playing ball here. But, I, you know, I was a 10-year-old. So, you know, hey, mister, could you move your car? You know, we're playing ball. And the guy wanted to show off the guy that was driving. It was um, two other guys in the car besides the driver. And um, he got out the car and said, you know, don't be talking to me this way. You know, I'll, you know, I'll grab you and, you know, wring your neck. And my dad was waiting in the doorway of our house for Roberto to pick him up to go to the ballpark. And when the guy got out and made a move towards me, my dad burst through the front door of the house. And in a flash, before this guy could even turn around to see what was coming at him, my dad was on him and grabbed him by his neck and threw him over the hood of his car. One, just one, one hand threw him over the hood of his, of his car. And before he did that, he held him up in the air and threatened him. He, the guy was about maybe five inches taller than him, but he held him up in the air and then threw him. And then, um, then he reached in the car and took the kid's keys out the car. And the other two kids in the car were like cowering because they didn't know, you know what this, this mad black man was going to do. And then just at that point, Roberto pulled up behind him and got out his car with a baseball bat after he saw my dad, you know, throwing this kid over the car. So, and, uh, and he was like, you know, what are you, you know, what's going on, Phil? And, you know, he threatened my son and, you know, and I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to beat his ass if he threatens these, you know, cause the guy was like 10 years older than us. So I'm 10 and he's like 20, you know, what are you going to do to a, you know, that's, you know, totally wrong. So, so anyhow, um, he took the, you know, took the kid's keys and they had to push the car down the street to park it because my dad wouldn't give him the keys back. So they had to push their car down the street to park it. And my dad told him, if you want your keys back, you have to call the police. 
So, and Roberto said, you know, go ahead and do it. I don't care if I get to the park, park later. We got, to, you know, we got to resolve this. And Roberto, had, he was all suited up. My dad was all suited up. And, you know, but, you know, they were ready to, you know, they were ready to kick some ass. And uh, uh, the police came shortly after and the police got out and, you know, they got all big eyed because they recognized Roberto right away. And, uh, you know, they were like, Mr. Clemente, Mr. Clemente, we're sorry. What happened? And, you know, the, the, the kids realized with the car realized that, you know, who he was at that point, too. And, you know, they were very apologetic and sorry and, you know, apologized to me, apologized to my dad, apologized to Roberto and, you know, took a air, you know, a tongue lashing from the police. The police got autographs and it was it was all good. And from that point on, that kid was always very courteous. Hi, hi, Phil. How's your dad? How's your mom? You know, you know, say, hi. have you seen Roberto lately? Tell him I said hi. You know, like, eh, you know, eh. You know, so that was it, you know, my and my dad did that at least one other time with for another neighbor that got threatened by some teenagers that were coming to see Margie. Some other guys, he beat beat some other guy up <laughs> that was threatening an older an older Italian neighbor of ours. So he was he was just that way. And, uh, you know, that was that was it. But that was that was, you know, Roberto and him were eye to eye and, you know, shoulder to shoulder to, you know, defend me and you know do the right thing uh you know everyone everyone knows sadly what happened on december 31st 1972. phil what were your recollections of that tragic day for not only pirate history baseball history literally our nation the island of puerto rico and let's be honest the entire world lost what ends up now that we call roberto not only a great ball player but a humanitarian. What are your recollections of December 31st, 1972? There was, a, you know, there was a whole bunch of rumors and misinformation and um, flashbacks and, um, you know, uh, this happened, this didn't happen. You know, there's, you know, this is going on, that's going on. It, it was, it was very blurry. And because it was the day after New Year's, I, I was at a party. I was at a party and, you know, so I was partying. So when I, you know, the next day I woke up, I, I wasn't drinking a whole lot, but, you know, next day I woke up, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't up to speed as far as, far as and then, you know, having to deal with that. And that morning, the, uh, one of the local TV channels came to our house. It had to be seven or eight o'clock in the morning to try to get a, uh, you know, uh, exclusive with my dad about Roberto and, uh, you know, I think he had been up much earlier than that. And, you know, he was just, he, he was very upset. And that, like I said, that was the first time I ever saw him cry. And that was the last time I ever saw him cry after my mother died. He never, he, he probably cried, but he never cried in front of me. He cried in front, of, he cried in front of us that day, you know? So, um, you know, that was his friend, you know, and it lose him in such a tragic capacity or, you know, you know, he was, you know, it was, it was overwhelming to them, you know, I, and they, I, and they had, I think, you know, they thought they would be friends for, you know, a, you know, a very long time, which with 15, 20 years, almost, you know, almost 20 something years. Uh, yeah. Over 20 years. Yeah. 18 years, 18 years. So, 
you know, that was a long time and, and to lose somebody suddenly in such a fashion, you know, it was very devastating. Uh, one thing that I did here, and I believe it might have been the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, that at that time, this um, airline company no longer exists, Eastern Airline, when they knew that your dad was Roberto Clemente's best friend in Pittsburgh, they actually made sure that when he traveled from Pittsburgh to Puerto Rico, that he traveled in first class alone. So he was able to basically be within his own thoughts, uh, no distractions whatsoever, to be there uh, to obviously support uh, Mrs. Vera Clemente, who sadly had passed, who has just passed away last November. And of course, the boys who are very, 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 very young, uh, Roberto Jr., Luis, and Enrique. And, you know, talking about uh, Mrs. Clemente, I can recall in uh, Newark, the Newark Bears in 2004, and this was around the beginnings of when uh, you and I met, uh, that Mrs. Clemente was honored by the Newark Bears, and there was an on-field presentation, and I invited you to come. And I was there uh, uh, on the suite level, and uh, Mrs. Clemente uh, is walking, and she immediately spotted you. And she said, oh, my God, little Phil. And I could just only imagine, I'm sure we spoke about it afterwards, how many years had basically gone by from when was the last time she saw you. Now, Phil, help me out. If this is 2004, Roberto passed in 72, would you say it was that many years in between was the last time you had saw Mrs. Clemente? I think I had seen her one time when she came to Pittsburgh for a ceremony after Roberto died, but that had to be 73, you know, so it, it, was, it was a very long time. I had talked to her once on the phone. One time I called her to say hello um, when I, I got her number from someone, and I did I did talk to her, and we talked for a few minutes. And her, at that time, she was back in Puerto Rico, and her English wasn't that good. So, but, you know, we did talk, and she was very happy. To, I was I was very happy she took my call, and we talked for a while. It was very good to reconnect with her. Then seeing her in Newark was very special for me. And, Phil, in a nutshell, how could you describe for our listeners Mrs. Vera Clemente? You know, we, we heard so much about Roberto, but when you're talking, Roberto, we have to talk about a little bit at least about Mrs. Vera Clemente. She was always very sweet, always very demure, always very strong-willed. Um, she was all. She was always a, a lady, a very much always a, a perfect lady. She was very sweet to me when I was a little. When I was when I was young, uh, I think when Roberto came into or she came into Roberto's life and they connected, uh, I had to be maybe ten or eleven or something like that. So, um, you know. So and she was very respectful to me and my family and my mother and and dad. So, and she was just that way. And she was very calm. She was very, um, you know, she, she, was, she was about the business of supporting Roberto and taking care of her family. And she, and she, and after Roberto passed, she went on and, and was just as heroic as he was in real life, supporting his, his mission and his, her family and his ideals. And, and, and live that, you know, to her, her, her last breath, you know, living that legend of her husband and, and, and what he bought and how she personified it with her, herself and her family. Well, you know, Phil, something happened that was rather historic in uh, Pittsburgh at PNC Park. 
And it was the first time ever that the entire Pittsburgh Pirate team, and the last time was when Roberto Clemente was still with us in 1972. So here it is in 2020, the entire Pittsburgh Pirate team, along with players throughout Major League Baseball, select players, players that requested it with their respective teams. Uh, They wore a patch. They wore the uniform 21. But the entire Pittsburgh Pirates team wore number 21. Phil Dorsey. We obviously the talk once again now on social media in the news is the movement that we all know as hashtag retire 21. If Phil Dorsey, someone that knew Roberto so well for the 18 years, and you had to present to the commissioner of baseball, you're sitting at the commissioner's table. What would you pinpoint? We know Jackie Robinson's number is the only number that's retired. What can Phil Dorsey provide to discussion as to why that number should hang alongside 42? I would probably say Roberto made the ultimate sacrifice, you know, using his, his uh, fame, uh, prestige, power, and determination to change the world. And nobody else has gone to that degree, to my knowledge within Major League Baseball, and that he should be honored. You know, I, I would say if you want to, to, to make it happen or continue to get it in the public eyes, you know, you can also do the, like come with Black Lives Matter. You just say his name, you know, keep saying his name. When the discussion comes up about baseball, say his name. You know, they talk about the World Series. They talk about, um, you know, who's the tops in this and who's the tops in that. You got to say, say his name, you know, say his name. It's time to retire his number. Roberto Clemente's number needs retired. And keep saying his name. That would be it. That would, you know, simple, that, that's my suggestion, you know, and that seems to be working and, and other things in life that's happening now and say his name. Amen. Roberto Clemente, retired 21. Well, once again, Phil Dorsey, uh, it's just great that you were here on our inaugural episode, episode one, Talking 21, dedicated to the life and legacy of the great Roberto Clemente. So Phil Dorsey, thank you so much for being a part of this, literally, I could almost say historic episode because we're looking forward for many to come. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for uh, considering me for this broadcast and, and, and I'll do whatever I can to further Roberto's legend, you know, say his name. I love that. I love that. Say his name, Roberto Clemente Walker. Roberto.